Hi, everyone. I'm Laurel Simmons, a co-founder of The Right Club, and I'm here with Catherine Nelson-Riley, our wonderful operations manager. And we're so happy that you're here to listen to this great, great episode that we have with Seth Ferguson today. So, Catherine, you and I have already spoken to, to Seth. What'd you think? I just thought it, he he is just such a wealth of information and experience, and he is all about coaching and bringing people through to make sure that they understand the differences between the smaller self self managing smaller units and getting people to understand that it's actually a far better investment opportunity and strategy to go with the larger deals, and they're not as scary. He takes the scary out of it. Yeah, he really does. I thought it was really, really cool when he talked about you know, the fact that just because you add a few more zeros to the end of the number really doesn't change anything. You still do your due diligence. You still do your planning. You have people around you. You, you, you have your plan. You do your analysis and all the rest of it. So if you're going to do that for a small unit, like maybe a single family home where there's a lot of risk, why not do it for hundred unit apartment building where there is much less risk depending on how you structure the financing. Now, that's a whole other ballgame, but I think maybe we should go right to the, the interview and let people hear what Seth had to say about that. What do you think? Absolutely. It was excellent. I think everybody's going to really learn a lot. And just before we go there, everyone, go on to the rightclub.com. Go there. There's so much information for you, videos and podcasts, all kinds of stuff. So please come and join our community and customize to help us let help us customize your life let's go Catherine, to the interview absolutely welcome to the right club podcast where the focus is on helping you the real estate investor advance to the next level and now let's join this week's hosts and share ways for you to customize your life Hello, Seth, and welcome to the Right Club podcast. It's great to, well, see you because I can see you right here. Most of our audience is listening to this. And just tell us where you are from, where you're yeah, sitting so, right now. Yeah, I, I actually live in Milton, Ontario, so just west of Toronto. And I grew up here and I, I've lived here ever since. Okay, great. And today's topic well, there's a number of things we can talk about, but you are the multifamily investment guy, aren't you? Like, that's what you do. That's what you live and breathe and eat, I think. You are so into multifamily real estate investing. That's a really cool, hot topic these days. Yeah, everything. It's basically from the time I wake up to when I go to bed, my life is dominated by multifamily real estate these days. So it's, it's nonstop action. And you are also putting a, a conference together about multifamily real estate investing. So we'll talk about that a, a little bit later. But let's get right into it. You and I were talking, or we were the three of us, were just talking before we started about 101 reasons why you should move, maybe, maybe not should move, but also consider <laughs> getting into multifamily 
residential investing. So let's talk about some of those reasons. Come on, just give it to us here. Yeah, well, I'll give you an example from my own life. So, you know, when I started off real estate investing, I was doing the, the smaller, you know, single family homes, duplex conversions, you know, condos, that kind of thing. And uh, it, I, I found it challenging for a couple of reasons. I think the big reason why people find it challenging is the financing aspect. So everybody knows they have to give an arm and a leg and their firstborn child just get a mortgage from a bank because with residential real estate, you have to qualify for the loan. Like the, the bank doesn't care about the income produced by the property. They care about you as a person borrowing the money. So that made scaling really hard. And also that the cash flow is very tight. Doing the single family portfolio stuff, I was what I call equity rich, but cash flow poor. So I had all this equity built up in these properties, but I couldn't access it because my cash flow was so tight. I, I To give you an example, with one duplex, the drain out to the sewer, a tree root, like went right through it and I had to get it repaired. And the repair was $8,000. Now with this, with this property, that was basically three years of positive cash flow gone up in a single day with a single repair. So, you know, yeah, like equity is great. And in the GTA, the greater Toronto area, you know, we had seen great appreciation. But if you can't access the equity, what's the point? Like, and, and cash flow is the lifeblood of real estate. If you don't have cash flow, you don't really have anything at all. Because if you're not producing cash flow and the only way you're making money, is through appreciation, well, that's not investing, that's speculation. So I, I went through a dramatic shift in terms of my thinking. And, and then I discovered multifamily real estate, commercial apartment buildings, and a couple of advantages just off the bat, economies of scale work in your favor. So you know if you have a duplex and a tenant moves out, there goes 50% of your revenue gone overnight. I don't know a single business that can survive that. You know, even with the fourplex, you know, 25% of your revenue gone when a tenant moves out. But if we're talking, you know, let's say a hundred unit apartment building and you have five vacant units, well, that's the cost of doing business. Your expense ratio per unit is a lot lower. Ease of management is a lot better when you're managing multiple units in a building rather than, you know, 10 houses all over the place. You know, I, I can't imagine dealing with a hundred different tax bills but you can certainly manage 100 units in, on one property. The way you can bring in investor money into these deals is a lot better. You can raise more capital more efficiently. It, the type of debt you can get, you know, interest-only payments, especially to Canadian, Canadian investors, doesn't really exist. But when you hop over to the, the apartment building side, lenders actually want to lend you money on apartment buildings because they know it's the most stable asset class out there. So I could go on for hours about all this kind of stuff, but the, those are just some cherry-picked highlights on you know, the differences between residential investing and commercial multifamily. Let's talk a little bit, though, about the difference between um, small multifamily and large multifamily because there is a big difference. I mean, you were talking about economies of scale. So, I mean, as far as the financial institution is concerned, let's say a typical Canadian bank, it's what, about five, what, five, maybe six units they start looking at as a commercial uh, investment. And, and things are slightly different when you go, as you said, for, for commercial, commercial lending. However, there is a big difference between having, say, a sixplex or even a tenplex and a hundred unit building or a 200 unit building. And I think a lot of people are really scared about going from 
the single family home right into that really large building. So what do you have to say about that? I, I love this question because I'm going to give you a very opposite opinion to most other people. So having, having done both, I can tell you that doing a larger deal is safer than doing a small deal. And let me tell you why. If, if somebody is just starting to dip their toe in and they're like, oh, well, you know, 50 units sounds really big. I would rather just get a fourplex or a sixplex. You know, that's going to be safer because the dollar value is smaller. I'm going to question whether that is actually the case or not. Because if you think about it, if you're going with a really small deal, let's say a fourplex, your cash flow is going to be really, really tight. The type of debt you're going to get for the property, like you have to sign and qualify for the loan. Like the, you have unlimited risk at that point. You probably have to self-manage it because the cash flow isn't there to buy professional management. You know, you have all sorts of other reasons why. So when we compare that to a commercial apartment building, so let's say a 50 unit building, 100 units, it, it doesn't matter. You have um, a lot better cash flow. So you have more wiggle room to make mistakes at that point, right? You make a mistake with the fourplex with no cash flow, you're toast. Yeah. You know, your, your cash flow is gone for the, a year or three years. With an apartment building, you have stronger cash flow. So it gives you a little bit more wiggle room. The cash flow also allows you to pay for management. The bigger you go, like with the 100 units, you probably have on-site staff every single day. Who's going to do a better job? A property manager who visits the property once a month or maybe once every two months to collect a check or staff who are on-site every single day nipping problems in the bud? I would argue that that commercial property is a lot better taken care of. The residents are better taken better care of. Maintenance issues are dealt with because you have people there all the time whose job it is. They're not managing 100 different properties running around. They're, they're there all the time. And the type of debt you can get is better. Who, like, let, let's say there's an issue with a deal with a fourplex and you know it's a $400,000 mortgage. Well, the bank's going to come after you and seize all your assets because it's because you have unlimited risk at that point. With a commercial apartment building, there's something called non-recourse debt, which means the bank can't come after your personal assets. They don't have recourse. They will seize the asset. So that takes off some risk exposure from the actual investor. Plus, we have different ways of investing in larger apartment buildings. Most people with a fourplex or a duplex, they'll partner with somebody, they'll do the deal on their own. You know, don't get me wrong, like partnerships are great, but there's a misconception out there that, hey, if I'm just providing the money and somebody's swinging a hammer, that's passive investing. The law doesn't see it that way. There's no such thing as passive investing in a partnership with a duplex. Like all parties are active, which means they're assuming unlimited risk. With the commercial apartment building, the bigger you go, you can take advantage of different structures like syndication, which allows for true passive investing. A fund can acquire. So if I'm looking at doing a small deal for my first one or a larger deal, I would rather go with what's going to give me the most advantage, which is the larger deal. I, get, I have professional management. I get better cash flow. I get better debt. I have better economies of scale. All of those things work in my favor at that point. That's awesome. So, and actually really enlightening because I didn't even realize that there were all those different options and it does. I, I know myself, I was just looking smaller, but now like, right, the light bulb's going off and let's look bigger. But you mentioned the syndication, like what exactly is that syndication? What does that mean? 
Yeah, a, a syndication is a way of structuring a deal that allows investors, passive investors, to pool their money together and invest it with somebody called a general partner. So think of it this way. We have a whole bunch of IT programmer, programmers, lawyers, doctors, accountants. They have money. They want to invest it, but they don't have the time. So they pool their funds together, and then they invest that money with a general partner who has the track record, who has the experience, who has the team, who has the deal. And that general partner will manage the deal to earn a return for the passive investors. It's true passive investing because the limited partnership, the, the, the pooled investors, they're protected by the law. And so their risk is limited. That's why it's called a limited partnership. So they're risking, let's say somebody invests 100 grand, their 100 grand is at risk, but their risk exposure doesn't go beyond that. It's the general partner who is incurring more risk, depending on the type of debt used. So it could be unlimited risk, whereas it's kind of like if we were to do a duplex deal together, the deal goes belly up, all of our assets are on the line. With the syndication, if you were a passive investor, you're, you're protected there. You're just risking your, your initial capital invested. Okay. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't realize that. But then we also have that a much safer, much safer way to go for passive investing. Yeah, there's so many benefits to that. Because I'll tell you what, like most people who contact me, they're, they're interested in being the active party. They want to run their own deals. But when most people realize how much work it is, they quickly realize that it's much better to mm -hmm. become a passive investor and invest their money with somebody who's already doing it. And that's what the syndication model does. That's what real estate funds do as well. They offer a tremendous advantage to people to participate in these larger buildings. What, when you mentioned the funds, what does that work? How does that work? And like the syndication versus the funds, how does that dovetail into each other yeah, or not? Great, great question. So a syndication, the best use case is on a deal by deal basis. So let's say, for instance, you came across an apartment building. It's a great deal. You know how to make money. You have to raise money for it. You would syndicate it because it, it's just for that specific deal. Now, let's say, for an example, you have a lot of deal flow and you're able to go out and do 10 deals. Like you have the track record, you have the experience, you have the deal flow for that. You can then raise, let's say, you know, $20 million through a fund and then deploy that money across 10 different deals. So it's not the deal by deal scenario. You're raising money through the fund and the fund will then go out and acquire and divest of properties. So it more has a life of its own over a longer period of time. You have, okay, so this is a lot of, there's a lot of information there to, to sort of unpack. If I was tomorrow, I wake up, I say, okay, that's it, Laurel, you're going out, you're going to find a, well, first of all, I'm going to find a place, but I'm walking down the street and, you know, it's my lucky day. I see this amazing building. I know it's for sale. I want to buy it. It has a hundred units. And what do I do? Like, seriously, what do I do? What's my very first step? Because I don't know. Oh boy. Okay. We have a lot to do actually. <laughs> and, and hopefully <laughs> <I know>. before... <laughs> Yeah. And hopefully before you actually say, hey, I want to buy this building, you've done a whole lot of homework up front, right? So in my process, we have to figure out, number one, what type of portfolio you want to build. We have to find our market, like the market you're in may not necessarily be the best investment market. So we have to do a lot of market research. We have to build your team first, and then we have to figure out how you're going to structure the deals, how you're actually going to raise the money. Then we have to underwrite, know how to analyze the deals, how to make money, how to use the value levers to generate a profit. 
And then we have to create a deal flow funnel, uh, which is, you know, finding deals and analyzing them. And then also creating our investor funnel, our capital raising funnel. If we've done all of that stuff and you come across a great deal, great. You know exactly what to do. You know the market's good. You can raise the money. You're ready to rock and roll. If you haven't done all of that stuff, I would say, let's pump on the brakes a little bit and let's go back to square one and start from the very beginning and then work our, our way forward. Because what I found with some of our students is, you know, if they try and rush, they, they, they skip a couple steps that are really important. So we have to take them back again to the beginning and then restart. So I would always, I would always suggest to people, start from the beginning, take your time, make sure it's done the right way, and you will be much better off at the end with the end result you want. How long then does it take from the time you decide, say I decided that tomorrow I want to really get into this multifamily, large multifamily investing. and Typically, because I mean, maybe this isn't a fair question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. How long typically would it take for me to go from sort of, okay, I want to do this, making the decision to going through all the processes, figuring it out, all the analysis, putting the team in place to actually getting to the point where I can make an offer on a, on a building. I know there's many, many, many variables in there, but it, it, is it? six months? Is it a year, two years? Is that a reasonable period of time? Yeah, it really, like like you said, there are many, many, many variables there at play. And it also depends on where you're starting. You know, there are some people who come in from a private equity background who have the connections, who can raise the money, who understand the structures. They'll come in and have a much faster start because it's they're already operating in that world. If if somebody's coming in who has never done a real estate deal before, there's obviously a much steeper learning curve and that's going to take longer because you should never do a deal and raise money from investors if you don't know what you're doing. That's not the right thing to do. So obviously in that case, you would have to partner with somebody who does have a track record and you would probably deal do a deal together. That other partner would have the experience, they would know what they're doing, and they would coach you along in the deal. That's how I would suggest you do it if you're starting from scratch. So yeah, there's people that come in and they'll start they'll start rocking and rolling four months in. There's people who take six months, a year, a year and a half. It, it all really it all really depends. But that you're right, that is an impossible question to answer because everybody's different. Okay, so I know everyone's different. And now I know that you teach people, you know, that you basically coach people through this process, correct? Yeah, we've got a program that we run that basically takes somebody from scratch and brings them all the way through to successfully investing in their first apartment deal. So, so that, that's what we focus on because I, my feeling is the first deal you do is going to be the hardest deal because you're basically building all the systems as you go. And so we focus on getting somebody from, generally speaking, they'll have real estate experience, but not in commercial multifamily. And then we'll work with them all the way through to uh, getting their deal done. Well, and it's like any real estate deal. The first one you do is the hardest. It's always the hardest, right? I mean, you're learning so much. And and it's like you're the, the deer caught in the headlights. It's like, oh my God, what's happening now? <laughs> yeah, it, th there is a learning curve. But you know what? It's not, it's not as bad as you think. Like I remember when I first started doing single family homes, I was very ignorant of what it took to do an apartment deal. Like I, I knew nothing. I thought you had to be ultra rich or you had to be a big life insurance company to buy an apartment building. I, I didn't know what I didn't know at the time. But, but as I got myself more and more educated, 
it's not it's not a big transition. A lot of people are really intimidated. They're like, oh, I'll just start small. I'll work my way up. If I could go back in time in a time machine, I would tell myself to skip the residential investing and go right into commercial, knowing what I know now. So it's not the learning curve is there, but it it's not as intimidating as people think. And one of the things that I've heard about the larger apartment buildings, and, and correct me if if this is wrong, because this is this is sort of out there in the ether, so to speak, is that when you get into those larger apartment buildings, you really are up against the the really big big guys like the 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 teachers unions and all the rest of it in terms of going after those cash flowing buildings. True? Not true? Maybe so. It really depends. Like you have to find your niche or your niche, depending on which side of the country you're on. It's real estate is very local. Would would a large would does BlackRock care about the 75 unit building in your hometown? Maybe, maybe not. Probably not. You know, they're looking at a 500 unit portfolio at that point. You know, yeah. Once we get into the 100 units plus. That's into institutional quality assets and institutions will compete for those assets. So any investor starting out, like, and that's why we go back to square one. What type of portfolio do you want to build? I know people who have built a great portfolio working in that mom and pop niche. So they're, they hover in that 50 to 75 unit range and they do really well with it. You know, that's a little bit smaller than the institutions want to go for. But you're still dealing with some more sophisticated investors than somebody who owns a 15-unit building. So that's the niche they play in. I'm also good friends with people who buy 500-unit buildings at a time. Of course, at that point, you're dealing with very sophisticated buyers and sellers and brokers, and everybody's on a different level. So yeah, the answer to your question is, yeah, you could be competing against big people. But if that's your business plan, you have to figure that out. There are also challenges with going smaller. You know, if you're dealing with a 30 unit building and it's a mom and pop owner, chances are you don't have the right numbers for the T12. You're not going to get all the information you need. It's going to be a less educated seller. So you have all of these challenges too. So every niche at every class, at, you know, every every class of property has its pros and its cons, just, just like any any other part of real estate. What would you say the biggest the biggest fear that real estate investors have in getting into the larger residential units? Yeah, I, I would say generally, and of course I'm speaking generally here because I get so many different answers, but it, it's the whenever we add extra zeros to the end of a number, people get intimidated. But it's it's just numbers at that point. If somebody can underwrite or analyze a 15-unit building. With the right instruction, they can analyze a 250-unit building. It, it, it's not that much different. But for whatever reason, whenever you have a couple extra zeros at the end of the NOI or at the end of the price, or you're dealing with 150 units rather than 10, people tend to get intimidated. Usually, it's a fact that they haven't, they haven't been taught a system. They don't have a process to follow. But as 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 long as you have a process, a repeatable system that you use on every single deal, that intimidation factor goes away because you know exactly what you have to do, in what order, when to do it, why you're doing it. Yeah, I think that to your point, that the, the, there's so much information there, and you know, you, you you use the term NOI. I think if 
if as an investor, you don't realize that NOI means, and I just- It's your net operating income. Yeah. Yes, thank you. Net operating income. I literally went out of my head as I was opening my mouth. I can't believe that. Anyway, that's pretty funny. Then you've got some more work to do because there are things that are really, really critical. And net operating income is, is just absolutely important for any any size building. Yeah. And especially when we get into commercial assets, because the, the value is derived from the net operating income the property produces. So with the residential house, we use what's called the comparable approach, which means if three houses on the street sold for a million dollars and your house is the same as the, all the other ones, your house is worth a million bucks. But with a commercial valuation, we use the NOI and what's called a cap rate, a capitalization rate. So it's basically asking yourself, well, how much is a buyer willing to pay for each dollar of NOI produced? So, and this is the whole business plan of commercial assets. We want to drive the NOI up. So we want to increase the revenue the property is producing and optimize or decrease the expenses to produce a greater net operating income, which will then increase the value of the asset. Because with apartment buildings, yeah, we're buying real estate, but I like to say we're actually buying a business that just happens to be tied to real estate. And all businesses are valued by the income they produce, period. So we have to think about commercial assets, commercial real estate in that vein. So whenever we're acquiring an apartment building, we have two value levers we use. We have physical improvements, how we're going to physically improve the property to improve our NOI, and then operational improvements. How can we optimize the property through systems management to also increase the NOI and reduce or optimize our expenses? And that's how you make money in apartments. Yeah. So you've, you've mentioned, um, we were talking beforehand about a value add strategy. So is this the, the level or is this the timing for that to come in as you're doing all the NOIs and everything? Like, how are we going to get that sophisticated, not only the sophisticated investor, but the sophisticated renter in? Yeah. Yeah. So, so there's four main investment strategies when it comes to commercial real estate in, in multifamily. You've got core, core plus core value add and opportunistic, you know, core and core plus, you're basically buying the best assets in the best location, not doing very much work. You're basically sitting on it, waiting for the market to, to improve or to increase opportunistic. You're acquiring assets that are in trouble. Those that's riskier to do. Value add is a good middle ground where you're buying assets that are, you know, that are cash flowing most of the time, but there are improvements that can be made. So maybe the kitchens need work. The exterior needs work. The pool deck needs to be resurfaced. Maybe we can add amenities. And then on the rent side, we're looking for pro properties where the, where the units are under rented. So maybe they have a vacancy issue. Maybe the rents are under market. So in a nutshell, value, the value add strategy is all about taking underperforming asset. So something that's operating below market norms acquiring it, improving it through physical and operational improvements, increasing the NOI, and then we will sell the asset. So basically it's like a flip for a house, but over a much longer time frame with a lot more units. That's the best way to think about it. Oh, that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. All right, Seth, you are, we could talk about this for hours and hours and hours, but it is now time for the lightning round. And uh -oh. this is where... We ask you four questions. They're not trick questions. They're not hard questions. We just ask you to 
respond as quickly as you can with the first answer that comes off the top of your head. This week's lightning round is brought to you by Butler Mortgages, Canada's number one mortgage brokerage three years in a row. If you need a great mortgage broker to help you with investing in real estate or to help you purchase your next home, reach out to Daniel Patton and Michael Zanzini from Butler Mortgages. You can do that by calling 905-569-8326 or toll free at one 888 and check out their website, butlermortgages.com, or by email, daniel.patton at butlermortgages.com, or michael.zanzini at butlermortgages.com. And let's go to the lightning round. So I'm going to start with question number one. What's the most important piece of advice that you've ever received about real estate investing? Hmm. You said these were hard questions. Now this one's a hard one. Honestly, the most important piece of advice would be the bigger deals are easier. Do bigger deals. Okay. That's a, that's, that's a good one. If you could tell your 18-year-old self something, what would it be? Don't buy a house. Invest in apartments. <laughs> okay, then. Question number three. What's your favorite type of reading? Is it, is, is it fiction, nonfiction? Ooh, ooh. Yeah, I, I would say I'm a huge historical fiction fan. I would say my most favorite book ever is The Count of Monte Cristo by Alexandre Dumas. Oh, cool. I read that one. But best novel and the most perfect piece of storytelling, according to Robert Louis Stevenson. <laughs> That's been a long time since I've read that. Now that you've said it, I was looking for some, some, just some reading, and maybe I'll pull that one out. That well, it, good. it's it's like seventeen hundred pages, so it's it's yeah. it's quite the project. Yeah, but that's okay. A little bit here and a little bit there. Isn't that how you bite it off and, and yeah, get exactly. it done? Yeah. Right. So, last lightning round question for you: What is the one attribute that has made you successful? Ooh, I would say boldness. I, I have some core values that I try and live by and boldness is number one because I want to do things that other people are either afraid to do or they're unsure about how to do it. I want to do things differently. And, and the multifamily conference is a perfect ex example of that. So, yeah. That was our it. next question is to ask you about the multifamily conference because you started that in the middle of a pandemic, for heaven's sakes. Like, talk about being bold. Yeah, that, that was that was pretty crazy. I did not expect COVID to last as long as it did. So, but you're right. Yeah. Do you guys know the story about how it started? No, no, no. So my, my now fiance and I had just hit. So we were in our condo and the streets were deserted. Like, it was crazy. And we were at her place watching Shark Tank. And I turned to her and I said, you know what? I'm going to have Kevin O'Leary speak at a real estate conference. And she looked at me and she's like, no way, whatever. And sure enough, like a couple of days later, I had Kevin O'Leary confirmed for a real estate conference. And that turned into the multifamily conference. So yeah, it was interesting. There you go. It's a bold win, right? Yeah, um, yeah. You, you got you to gotta do it. You got to do yeah. it. Okay, Seth, where can people, what's the best way for people to reach you? Yeah, well, we've got a couple of different ways. My YouTube channel, we have hundreds and hundreds of free videos on YouTube. So just go to youtube.com slash Seth Ferguson. And the next best way, honestly, is get a ticket to the multifamily conference coming up. You go to multifamilyconference.ca 
And uh, I'll definitely be there uh, schmoozing with everybody. And uh, we're expecting about 3,000 investors there. So it's uh, the country's largest real estate investing conference. That sounds wonderful. Thank you so very, very much. I think, Catherine, we'll be having him back, right? Because Seth is just a a fountain of knowledge. Thank you so, so much. It was really eye-opening. It was my pleasure. Well, thank you so very much, Seth. And we'll see you at the Multifamily Show. And we look forward to to hearing how some of your students and some of the success stories with them as well. Yeah, it'll be fun. Now I have to explain to my fiance why I hung out with two beautiful ladies for the past hour. So, (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thank you. (laughs) Bye. Thanks for listening to the Right Club Podcast, where the focus is on helping all levels of real estate investors advance to the next level and help you customize your life. Be sure to tune in next week at rightclub.com slash podcast or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you get a few seconds, please rate the podcast wherever you're listening. It helps the show get noticed by others like you. And we truly appreciate it. And don't forget to subscribe. Well, there it is, Catherine. (laughs) He's pretty amazing, isn't he? Absolutely. He could have, I know that this is only a half an hour podcast, but realistically, I could have listened to him for at least another hour. So it will definitely have to have him back. Oh yeah. He knows so much, so much. And I hope people contact him. I hope they go to his website. I hope they go to the, uh, or at least look at going to the the conference about multifamily units and, and how you invest in them. because. You know what? The thing is, even if you don't end up investing in a multifamily building, residential building, you're going to learn so much that will apply to so many other things. So, you know, when you go to those things, there's never a loss there. You're always going to learn something, right? Absolutely. And the networking's phenomenal. And the people that you meet, the information that you garner and you glean, and, and maybe you'll be introduced to something that you never realized was actually a perfect strategy for you that you might not have considered before. Yeah, exactly. So until next time, folks, customize your life. Have a great week and come on back and listen to our next podcast next week. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to the Right Club Podcast, where the focus is on helping all levels of real estate investors advance to the next level and help you customize your life. Be sure to tune in next week at rightclub.com slash podcast or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you get a few seconds, please rate the podcast wherever you're listening. It helps the show get noticed by others like you. And we truly appreciate it. And don't forget to subscribe.